1: Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is before the box score and it's game week. Oh my god we have everything to talk about. B.K. what uh, in the Missouri football world what didn't happen today?
2: Well they're starting a true freshman corner against two first round wide receivers this weekend so that's gonna be fun. Um, Although I am actually legitimately excited about that. We'll get into that here in a little while but Yeah, I mean, they've got opt-outs that have taken place. They have guys that are back with the program after, like, disappearing for a year mysteriously. Um, They are going to be without, I think it's like seven guys. They have 69 scholarship players this week. Uh, There's a lot going on um, going into this game. That being said, it's game week. There was no guarantees that we were going to be here to begin with the fact that they are even playing this game is a win now they're going to lose this game but the fact that they are playing it (laughs) is a win and i'm excited to talk about you with you here today
1: Uh, i'm supposed to be the negative
2: one it's alabama listen i i can be positive as much as i want to be next week whenever they go to the always overrated tennessee
1: i'm more than happy to
2: do that (laughs) That being said, this week against Alabama, I'm going to play the role of, yeah, Alabama's good. I'm pretty comfortable (laughs) playing that role.
1: Well, we do have some good news to actually kick this whole thing off. Now, it's good news looking towards the future because Mizzou kicked off their 2022 recruiting class with Max Wisner, Wisner, Oh, I hope it's Wiz. We get to call him the Wiz Kid?
2: I feel like it's going uh, to be Wiz either way for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be Wiz forever for the rest of my life. Anyway, Max uh, is a tight end, three-star tight end. He's 5.6 rating not a Rivals. 24th best tight end according to Rivals. 24th uh, best player available to Missouri at uh, a Lee Summit, which uh, produced Drew Locke. So that's a pretty good uh, pedigree right about there. about 10 minutes away from him. Um, that's right. Oh, hey, look at right. you, local boy. So 6'6", 240 in high school, that's a big kid. Um, we do need more tight ends. You know, you always need tight ends, especially if you're Missouri. Uh, we'll be losing, you know, possibly, uh, you know, we'll be at two, or we'll be at four after two years from now. So he'll be the next one that comes up. Um, there's been a lot happening, BK, but do you have any thoughts about uh, Max, the tight end from Lee Summit?
2: Is just good get for Eli Drinkwitz. You know, the fact that he's getting a 2022 kid this early in the process cannot be seen as a bad thing. And the fact that he's doing it for mm-hmm. a local kid, which is something that we've talked mm-hmm. so much about on this podcast and Mizzou fans in general have talked about over the years. That's good. Like, there is no bad takeaway from this, especially when it's a decently rated three-star kid from the area. It's also another continuation of a trend that we've seen under Eli Drinkwitz. He has six in-state players in this upcoming class. He's also got Tyler Macon, of course, from just across the state line at, uh, in East St. Louis. That's seven kids from basically the immediate distance, 100 miles one way or the other, from Mizzou in this upcoming class, and then add another one, eight if you add that for next year that's damn good i mean there's there's nothing Mm -hmm. poor that you can say about that it's been one of the biggest questions that i had coming into the eli drinkwitz uh regime was what he was going to do on the recruiting trail and it's been answered with positives at every step they are now ranked 21st in the 2021 recruiting class and now he picks up a Mm -hmm. three-star in the 2022 from in-state i love it man it's awesome
1: uh, one of the things and we'll get into the de- death chart later one of the things that I saw a couple of people mention is um, a lack of Missouri players on the current Missouri roster that's not drink Wentz's fault right he inherited almost this entire team uh, he salvaged the recruiting class late in the process so who he's starting is not really his absolute final pick but even if you are one of those people who says there's not enough Missouri kids or there's too many two stars you know starting um, he's working on it, okay? He's got, like you said, one of the better, uh, best recruiting classes Missouri's ever seen in quite some time so far, and he's, uh, I I think I said this on a previous podcast, but of the top 15 kids in the 2022 Missouri high school recruiting class, he has offered all but one, so he is really trying to get the Missouri circuit into the University of Missouri football team, so he is getting there, and this is just another building block in that step, so You like to see it.
2: Yeah. And I mean, if you want to trace back why they are so light on Missouri kids, it's not hard to find. They had one Mizzou commit in the class of 2017. Those are basically their seniors right now. That's the Kobe white side and the Byers class. And then if you go back to 2018, Mm -hmm. I believe they had three Missouri kids in that class as commitments. And then Mm -hmm. by the way, the only Missouri commit in 2017 was Deron Davis who never made it to campus. So They really never had a commit in the 2017 class. They had three total from 2017 and 2018. Those are the kids that you're supposed to be counting on for this upcoming season. Now, that's not exactly the case because those classes didn't go well for Mizzou as a whole. Um, But those are the classes Mm -hmm. that you're supposed to be expecting to start this year. And that's why you don't see many Mizzou guys on the updated two deep. So, but if you if, just to kind of give a little context as to why that is the case, it's not on Drinkwits. That's on the previous regime, and more specifically the 2017 and 2018 recruiting classes, as to why they're missing all of those kids.
1: Well said. So we've got a little bit of good uh, with the recruiting side. Now we got the bad. Um, Dave Banner was just dropping nuclear bombs on Twitter today uh, with all the updates. So, we've got a bunch of guys who are out. Now, Chris Daniels and uh, Maurice Massey were already COVID opt-outs for this season. That's fine. They don't want to risk it. I don't want them to risk it. Good luck. We'll see in 2021. Now, we get hit with the injuries. Tight end Brendan Scales, who is just perpetually on the cusp of breaking through, out for the season with a foot injury. Thalen Robinson, possible backup center candidate, possible backup tackle, He is out. He is opting out for 2020. That's fine. Good for you, kid. Hyron White, the projected starting tackle, probably left tackle, done for the season. And Jatorian Hansford, which arguably has the highest ceiling of our defensive ends, out for the season. BK, all of these suck. Would you like to pick out one in particular that sucks the most?
2: Yeah, Hyron White. I yeah. Mean, he, he he was the guy that was supposed to protect the blind side of whatever quarterback they're going to start on Saturday. And they still haven't announced which one's starting. I still believe that it is Sean Robinson. Same. I still have no reason to believe that it is Sean Robinson Same. other than the fact that it's just like a gut feel that I, in my heart of hearts, I think he's going to be their starter. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, like when you've got an offensive line that is already considered to be one of your weaknesses mm-hmm. and one of your better, more proven players, on that offensive line decides to, you know, get injured and it's not his fault. Of course, I'm not blaming the kid, but when he gets injured the week of the first game of the year against, you know, Alabama, uh, yeah, that's going to be a little bit problematic, especially when the games that are coming up aren't exactly gimme's against Tennessee and LSU. Um, so yeah, this one hurts and it's going to be an adventure to finding out who is going to play left tackle for them, both on Saturday and moving forward. If he misses any extended period of time, it seems like Zeke Powell is going to get the first crack at the left tackle position. Uh, he is what from South Alabama. Yeah, we don't, we don't know much about the kid, frankly, but we'll see. We'll see what he's got and hopefully it's better than expected
1: i mean zeke is i'm sure he's a great guy he's obviously a talented player he's playing the sec we don't know much about him not because he was at south alabama and we don't pay attention to south alabama and not even really that because is accurate yeah not even really because <laughs> he went the juco route and was at coffeeville like that those aren't why we don't know anything about him we don't know anything about him because he didn't play at those two schools he was recruited by South Alabama, couldn't crack the starting rotation, was a filler. Went to Coffeeville for a year, never started, saw five games. Now he's starting left tackle in the SEC against Alabama. Okay, that's where we're at. So either Mr. Powell has made a tremendous leap in the three years of riding the bench for the Jaguars in Coffeeville, or we literally have no one else. And he's just like, all right, go get him, kid. You're old. You've seen stuff. Go get him. Yeah. Um.
2: I don't even know what to say, man. It's bad. It's really bad. And I hope that it's better than I'm expecting it to be. But I don't know how I can expect it to be any good. The 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 big, biggest thing that I can tell you about the kid is that he is the cousin of Willie Cauley Stein, and I got that straight from miamutigers.com. That's all I got for you. He's Willie Cauley Stein's cousin, so he's probably hey. pretty athletic. That's what I got. <laughs>
1: I like that i like that oh but we're yeah. gonna find out a lot about <laughs> zeke powell um because he get, he gets to go up against an nfl defensive line um so i i have all the hope in the world for the kid i want him to blow me away um based off of just averages it's probably gonna be a little rough but he's all we got um bk and i were actually texting earlier this afternoon or this afternoon late uh, tonight um <laughs> BK, I think you really just said, no, seriously, who do we have left on the offensive line? Um, and it does seem a little dire. Well, listen, I mean,
2: the deep internet is talking, and they've got some questions as to who's going to be available this weekend. And I, I legitimately asked, I, I sent Nate a text, I was like, hey, um, I'm not kidding, are they going to be able to play this game because do they have the numbers on the offensive line? And it was like, yeah, why? I was like, no, seriously, <laughs> can you check in on this for me? I need to know, are they going to have enough numbers so, on the offensive line? And it sounds we like we've confirmed. confirmed now, Nate, based on your, your reporting, they, they do have they the numbers.
1: Now keep in mind, seven people are quarantined. And if you are following the correct social media circles, you will notice that some of the names on the Tube Deep are in quarantine right now. Um, but without violating HIPAA, not that I'm a doctor, but without violating anybody anybody's personal information, here's who we have left on the offensive line. Zeke Powell. Okay. Mike Ruth, uh, the sophomore out of Coppell, Texas. Uh, Case Cook, our captain. Jack Buford, uh, the guard out of uh, St. Louis Lutheran North. Uh, Drake Heismeyer, out of St. Charles. Obviously, they transfer Mike Myetti from Rutgers, Mitchell Walter, uh, Mitchell Walter, excuse me, out of Melville, uh, Xavier Delgado by way of Glendale, Arizona, Luke Griffin, uh, and Dylan Spencer on uh, the guard spots. Uh, Dylan Spencer is a converted defensive lineman, mind you. And then Larry Borum and Javon Foster. That is twelve. Uh, I believe the rule states you need seven. Is that right?
2: Seven or nine? It it might be nine, but it's it. it- fewer than what they have clear
1: the benchmark so we're good um now some of those are quarantined okay maybe they are maybe they aren't but um we have the numbers to play i don't think they're going to play you know well against alabama but they're still there so the game as of right now can still happen and we can all feel good about that the other thing we can feel good about because we just lost a crap ton of dudes that doesn't feel good um I hate it when, when shows bring back characters from other seasons out of nowhere. Uh, do you remember Trajan Jeffcoat?
2: <laughs> I do. I do indeed remember him. He, I had he, high hopes so, for him, in fact.
1: I, I don't know how you felt uh, during the recruiting class of 17? No, 18. Yeah, it was 18. When they got Jatorian Hansford oh uh, like late i think that was december 18th and then they got trajan jeff Coates, uh also in december i was like this is it this is like our next D-line, you know d line zoo defensive intent I'm like this is it well um trajan just like stopped being on the team last year it was october 6th the headline i think literally was trajan jeff coat no longer on team <laughs> no one knows why yeah uh he just he was just gone and then June 15th of this year, his name popped back up because Houston, the Houston Cougars, offered uh, Trajan Jeffcoat to play. And I was like, okay, that's cool. Bye. Now he's back with Missouri. Um, I I'm cool with it. We obviously need the depth. But BK, this is kind of like the most random storyline that you could possibly get before a season starts, right?
2: The best storyline, honestly, I I don't say that with any sort of sarcasm whatsoever. Like, Mizzou needs all of the talented bodies they can get at the defensive end position. As of right now, according to the depth chart that they posted today, Chris Turner and Isaiah McGuire are battling it out for one of mm-hmm. your defensive end positions. And on the other side, it's Trey Williams again as the clear cut starter with <laughs> Cannon York as his backup. walk on. like uh, they need bodies there. They really do. They don't have anybody right now that you should have any sort of expectations that they're going to be really like high level pass rushers. And that's not a shot at any of these guys, but we've seen them. We've seen what they can bring to the table and barring some sort of unforeseen jump in production, jump in their play. They're not the pass rushers that you're going to want coming from the edge. And so I don't know if Jeff Coat can be that for them or not this year, but I know that he's mm-hmm. got the upside to do it, and so let's find out. you know Let, Let's see what he can do, and I don't know if he's in game shape right now. Maybe he can give you five snaps on Saturday. Yeah. That's perfectly fine, but maybe you get three, four games into the year, and he's at least a rotation player, and i got to be honest with you, I, I would accept yeah. one of those right now if he's just a third-down pass yeah. rusher. Let's Cannon, see what he's York. got.
1: Uh, walk on from Lebanon, Missouri uh Lebanon is I believe where Justin Britt went so that's kind of cool uh 6'3 235 defensive lineman in the SEC little light little well,
2: well he's grown he came in at 6'2 two, 200 to so put on <laughs> 35 pounds uh, I'm
1: sure Cannon's a great player I'm not sure if he's going to cut it over a 10 game season so yeah we do need some death behind him uh but good for him for cracking the two deep Speaking of the two deep, we got, as a, as sophomore, a sophomore, by yeah. the way,
2: it's not like this is some red shirt, red shirt freshman who's been around campus for six years. He's a red shirt sophomore who has now cracked the two deep for Mizzou at defensive end after coming in as a walk-on. Like it is a really cool yeah. story for Cannon York. I just wish for Mizzou that they didn't <laughs> need a really cool story to crack the two deep yeah, this early be nice in the to, season. nice
1: uh, just have him as a luxury rather than a requirement, so uh, but good for him. But, yes, the, the depth chart was released. Again, KG, KG Eli Drinkwitz, who's not going to tell us really anything. And that's fine. That's his prerogative. Uh, this depth chart is ored all to hell. Pretty much any starter of note has an OR indication next to them, which, let's face it, we were expecting that sort of thing. Um, I did appreciate the little uh, wink and a nudge of listing Connor Bazlack first OR sean robinson (laughs) i love that
2: i is this a hint i'm reading too much into this i know is this a hint that it could be connor basilic who is getting the first reps on saturday
1: or is it a misdirection say yeah we're going to list him first because we're actually starting sean or is it a misdirection to the misdirection because you know if we list connor first then it's actually going to be sean so we're actually going to be starting like How many ways you want to go about
2: this? And Galaxy Brain, 10 ways Saturday. Here we go, baby.
1: Galaxy Brain is is we're actually starting Micah Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Wildcat that thing all over the place. Let's do it. Um, But yeah, it's probably... You Audible. said Sean
2: Taylor Powell's coming back. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking about characters who leave the show and then come back. How funny would that be? I feel like he just c- comes out of the stands. Like I'm here. And like, just puts a helmet on and oh my God. Yes. yes. just
2: Undertaker memes all day. <laughs> it's going to be great.
1: Oh, tapo. I miss you. Um, so yeah, we got Sean Robinson or Connor Bazlek. I do think it's going to be Sean Robinson. Why not? You can play them both. It's fine um larry I think roundtree they should this
2: week honestly
1: why not why not throw brady cook in there you only have three <sighs> anyway larry roundtree tyler Beatty. it doesn't matter who starts they're both going to see the field damon hazelton kiki chisholm jalen knox that was not a surprise on the three receiver spots what was a surprise is their backups when you're looking at this roster um and like we have redshirt freshmen on this team uh i'm thinking you're cj boones well, Maurice Massey's no longer an option. Um, but you have Chris Abrams-Drain, J.J. Hester, Jay Macklin, Chance Looper, the walk-on. I don't see those guys anywhere on there. Michael Wilson's not on there. Uh, Dom Jacinto's not JJ's, on there.
2: J.J. Hester's on there. So is Chance Looper. Under Oh, David yeah.
1: Hazleton. Yeah. But C.J. Boone's not.
2: C.J. Boone is not. He is the one that is notably missing. Yeah. So, like, you got. And there's sir. like 10 receivers that are listed. So, the fact that he is not there is legitimately noteworthy.
1: You have a walk on in Deontay Smith, the junior from Kansas City, who wears number 31 as a receiver, backing up Damon Hazleton.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, what's going on? Is that is that a COVID or is that a skill? Like, these are the questions that you have to ask, and we just don't know. Um, Anything from, like, the quarterback, running back, receiver, anything other than just a lack of backups being quality that you want to add? Um,
2: yeah, I would say the biggest thing is just, like, it, it seems to indicate that the guys that we hoped would show that they were clearly above the rest did exactly that. Jalen Knox is your starting slot receiver going into the year. Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazleton are starting on the outside. That's what we all predicted would be the case. But the fact that they ended up going out there showing all preseason that they deserved to have those spots is noteworthy. Because, I mean, for Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazleton in particular, those guys are coming into a new program from the outside. And they didn't know any of this coaching staff. And some of the guys on the team didn't either. But it's noteworthy when they give exactly the impression that you would hope that they would. So, I think that's noteworthy. Um, Otherwise, it's pretty much as expected. I mean... The backup wide receivers, there's not a single one that doesn't have his, an "or" next to his name. So we have no idea still how any of that yeah. sort of rotation is going to work. That's probably something that I'm going to be watching for on Saturday to see kind of who the second group is that rotates mm-hmm. through, that cycles through. Uh, does J.J. Hester get some early playing time out there? Is Barrett Bannister getting playing time um, over Jalen Knox in the slot at some point? Those are going to be the things that I watch in the game. But just based on this depth chart as a whole... Uh, in terms of what you're getting from your um, your skill guys, this is pretty much what we expected.
1: Yeah. And I guess, you know, from tight ends, it's going to be DPJ, Nico Hay, Logan Christopherson. Like, they're going to rotate all those guys anyway. So yeah. it doesn't really matter who starts. Um, we've talked about the offensive line. Defensive line, we hinted at it earlier. Trey Williams, Markel Utzi, Kobe Whiteside, Chris Turner across the front four. No surprises, really.
2: No, not at all. And the one thing that I would still like to see, um, kill Byers, see him kick outside a little bit. I wouldn't have any issues with that, but um, if they're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. It is what it is. Um, All the cliches you can give out there, uh, that's that's really the only thing that I would like to see them do that is not on the step chart. But, I mean, it is... It is frightening how little depth they have at the defensive end position. I know we brought it up earlier, but it's it's the single thinnest of it, or single thinnest position on the roster by yep. a wide margin.
1: Yep, and the least talented, which is why tackle slash end Isaiah McGuire is backing up Chris Turner, and why Chris Turner put on like forty pounds mm-hmm. <laughs> to be bigger. Um, so. You know, I talked. We talked about this last show. It kind of seems like they're gearing towards a heavier defensive line. That's why Chris Turner bulked up. That's why Trey Williams and Cy Martin are now outside linebackers. Like it seems like they want to do this blended three-four rush in kind of line. But it's just you got to get talent out there. And if they trotted out three defensive tackles, hell, if they tried out four defensive tackles, I wouldn't be surprised. It actually might even encourage it.
2: I actually, I just noticed this, but. Uh, Montre Edwards is not on that, yeah. Um, two deep, which is yeah. interesting. I know he's he's a freshman, but I, I figured he would maybe figure into it at least as a backup. Same thing for Ben Key. Neither of those two um, ended up making the two D, which is interesting.
1: COVID nineteen.
2: Yeah, gotcha.
1: That's I, I that's my only thought because of the yeah. hype that uh those two got and the impact that we thought we were gonna get. Yeah, that's just. I don't know. That's my initial thought. It's possible. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, once lineups, warmups come out, we'll see exactly who's there and who's not. So it'll it'll be interesting. Um, as far as linebackers go, we all knew it was going to be Nick Bolton at the weak side. He's there. Chad Bailey backing, backing him up. Um, I noticed this. I forgot to tweet about it, so I don't get to take credit at the time. But I'll take credit now. I was looking at the updated roster a couple nights ago, and noticed that Devin Nicholson switched from number 58 to number 11. I was like, oh, he's probably mm. starting. Lo and behold, Devin Nicholson is your game one starter at the Mike middle linebacker position, backed up by Cameron Wilkins. BK, that was kind of the rotation towards the end anyway. Any issue with those two spots?
2: No, no issues with it. Um, I think we we saw a lot of Nicholson at the end of last year. He kind of stole that spot from Cameron Wilkins. Um, so I, I think we probably should have seen this coming a bit. But that being said, it, it was an open question as to who was going to get that spot. Um, I, I wrote about this last week on rockimnation.com. If you want to check out what I had to say prior to seeing the step chart, you can check that out there. Um, it, it makes sense. I got no issues with it. I think they were basically six to one half dozen to the other. I don't know that there's a significant difference. Go with the younger guy. I'm totally cool with that. Uh, One guy that I would like to see a little bit more of this season is Chad Bailey. Yes. And a lot of that is just based on, again, going back to the recruiting sites and how they rated him, but. He was always seen as a super high caliber player, and we really haven't seen much of him at all at Mizzou. I don't know how much you're going to be able to see of him in this first game, but if they get down by a lot, go ahead and sit Nick Bolton. I got no Mm -hmm. issue doing that. Make sure that he's healthy for week two, and let's see what Chad Bailey can bring to the table.
1: I agree. I'd love to see what he can do. He, He got on the field a little bit last year, but yeah, with all the recruiting rankings and the hype, I would like to see him on the field as well. Uh, as he moved into the secondary, there were three of the five spots that we just absolutely knew they were going to be manned. Mm-hmm. And we were right. Jarvis Ware at the corner, uh, Tyree Gillespie at the boundary safety, Joshua Bledsoe at free safety. The question was strong safety in corner. And, boy, BK, I hope you're happy because I know I am. Strong safety is Martez Manuel. Mm-hmm. Who's that starting cornerback on the other side?
2: Rick Straw, baby. Here we go.
1: We yeah! <laughs> did it. He did it uh and for his reward he gets like to say like you say he gets to play against two nfl wide receivers so um we're very excited about uh, the rake straw uh, regime starting early uh he's going to be able to get his feet wet against the best of the best so that's pretty great um what do you think uh bk what do you think uh you know two tackles uh 15 passes broken up and three interceptions in his first game
2: i'd be here for it man i i I'm expecting a lot of a lot of early struggles, and that's to be expected. That's going to be the case for Jarvis Ware as well. It is not a shot against either of those two corners. The receivers that Mizzou is going up against this weekend, I'm not kidding when I say there are NFL teams that have worse receiving cores than what Alabama is putting on the field against Mizzou. So it will not be a red flag if we go into this game and Alabama's top two receivers have 250 yards at the end of the game. that's going to be what they do to a lot of teams this year. It's just, it is what it is. Um, So I, I'm not going to judge Rakestraw or Ware at all on what they do in this game. I'm going to be watching them to see if maybe they can make some positive plays. If they're playing the ball, there are skills that you can watch for in this game. But in terms of the actual results of the play, I'm, I'm not going to hold that against them. I am really excited about it though. This was a huge recruiting get For for Mizzou, for Eli Drinkwitz. It was his first really big get, and this is where that uh, viral video came out of Mm -hmm. Drinkwitz's uh, reaction whenever he saw that Rakestraw picked Mizzou over Alabama. This is a really cool thing. He's starting in his first game at Mizzou, and he earned it. He earned it based on his his play in in fall camp.
1: He did. I'm so excited for the kid. I'm so glad he's on our team, and I, I can't wait to see what he can do. Just not this – not this week. I want to see what yeah. he can do starting next week. Uh, and just for and completion And then not the sake, following week either. Jamar well, Chase is going to look really good. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Wait, isn't Jamar Chase – did he opt out?
2: Oh, he, you're right. I think he did actually. Okay, so, oh, so the next couple a of chance. weeks we can – yeah we we can do this (laughs) (laughs) it's awesome i think lsu's got some other good receivers but neither they probably do
1: they probably do but uh yeah to round it out uh starting kicker is harrison mevis the freshman out of warsaw indiana uh punter is the kentucky product kentucky transfer grant mckinnis and then Beatty is returning kicks and chris abrams drain returning punts uh, at least theoretically so um
2: Another big one, by the way. Freshman winning another job. I I do, I will say this, and I remember talking to you about this with, uh, this was earlier in the summer after I had spoken with Eli Drinkwitz on our radio show. He said, hey, listen, there are some freshmen that are actually going to be benefiting from this offseason. The fact Mm -hmm. that they're not super behind because the other guys did not get a vast majority of spring ball. And so Drinkwood said these freshmen are coming in, and they're at the same spot as the juniors, the seniors, the grad transfers, all of them. Mm-hmm. And it, it seems like that kind of came to fruition. You're seeing quite a few of them littered across this too deep that they put out for week one.
1: Yeah. So these kids get thrown to the wolves, or thrown to the elephants against the Crimson Tide um, Saturday at 6. We actually have a treat for you. We were able to uh, get a hold of um, Dave Osmond from – the Alabama football podcast and uh he was able to share some insights with us uh as far as the Alabama team goes and what to expect for this week so uh without further ado we'll get into that anyway. all right we are here with Dave Osmond from the Alabama football podcast who is generous enough to spend some time with us today talking about all things crimson tide Dave how are you doing tonight
0: Nate, I am fantastic. I am so looking forward to the season. I think if we waited any longer to record this, it would just be one long shriek. I'm that <laughs> that excited.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long month. Uh, we thought football would be coming back, you know, like it usually does end of August, beginning of September. We got an extra four weeks packed on top of that. So um, I think we're all itching to see what the, our teams can do, especially you guys. I mean, you know, I hate to be the doom and gloom guy, but like, we got a brand new coach. We got a brand new team. Like we're playing just to see what we got. You all actually have things to play for. You got a, you got a solid team. One of the greatest coaches of all time um, and a pretty manageable schedule to get these guys to the playoffs. So, I mean, I don't know, man, what's it like when your team can reliably win a national championship? Can you tell that to me, please?
0: Well, it is, it is exciting. It is an, this is an era of football that, uh, I, you know, we've, we mentioned it on our podcast. Uh, we, we sort of caution Alabama fans and, and we remind ourselves that th- there's a, there's a clock ticking on this. This is not going to persist. This doesn't last forever. Saban is going to move on uh, into retirement, not somewhere else, but uh, uh, you know, we enjoy it while we can. There is, and, and you know, what do they say? First world problems. Um, and there is, there are times where I feel more relief than <laughs> than than joy than glee. Uh, I think when we won the the last time that that it felt like organic joy was when we made Tebow cry. Uh, <laughs> after that game, oh, uh, no. you know, I you know Tom and I sat down. Uh, we were out in Los Angeles uh, for you know we played Texas, and I asked the question. I said, "Dude, I've got to ask." Are, are we more excited or relieved? And he looked at me and he said, I think relieved. <laughs> and and it's been a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not to complain because it's been a wild ride and we've enjoyed every every moment of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say woe is me, but there's a little bit of burden that goes with that. Sure. And um, uh, because the expectation is so high and when we just beat a team it drives Saban nuts uh, because we should do more you think we should do more we should get the recruit we should do this uh, but uh, I look I, I know you, you have nothing of that and you don't want to hear me complain about that
1: <laughs> it's it's just such a unique position to be in there's only a handful of teams at any given moment that can have that sort of mentality um and to have one in the conference is, is very you know we come from the big 12 where oklahoma was that team but they would yep. you know crap the bed when it got to the big stage so it's like i don't know i don't know what that's like to feel good about my team all the time so um yeah you guys are rolling in four and five star guys you're winning the you're winning your division winning your conference all the time it's great uh Saban's one of the greatest ever um but like what what keeps you up at night what are you scared of what teams or situations scare you as an alabama fan
0: well i think i think i still sort of pop up in bed when i think of auburn uh i think uh <laughs> their stadium was built on an indian burial ground oh, uh, or something and uh, i have night flashes of uh of mac jones pass bouncing off uh Najee harris's rear end uh <laughs> and being returned you know 99 and a half yards for a touchdown mm. that is the only thing and, and georgia fans can attest because they've seen some some spooky stuff uh uh when they play on the plains as well but uh it is amazing the, the, just the freak ball, uh, ball bounce, freak, you know, job sort of ball bounces that happens there in uh, Jordan Hare. And uh, when I allow myself to, to think about that too much, uh, I have a hard time sleeping.
1: So, the thing about being the best is that everybody kind of claims you as as a rival. And especially yeah. in the SEC, all these rivalries are older than dirt. Um, and and so I know that there's a lot. There's obviously Alabama-Auburn, uh, you all in Tennessee. Uh, there's kind of a, a natural, you know, I'll say a natural rivalry, rivalry between whichever hegemon is in the East. So like Florida, Georgia, stuff like that. Uh, and then LSU. So like I guess in your mind, Dave, is your biggest rival Auburn? And if it's not, who is it?
0: I you know I think classically you have to think uh, you have to think it's Auburn. I tend to think uh, I'm from Nashville originally, uh, and so I tend to think Tennessee is a pretty big uh, rival. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I might personally think uh, they're a bigger bigger rival robbery, and then uh, yeah, LSU is late. So I'm not trying to not answer your question. I think Tennessee for me is probably the one that has the most sort of juice to it. Uh, but uh, that Auburn, there's a there's a lot of genuine uh, dislike there.
1: So. I guess here's another way of framing it. Which team do you hate the most? It doesn't even have to be a rival. Which team do you hate playing the most?
0: Which team do I hate playing? That's going to be Auburn. To I, Auburn I, again. Yeah, so I, that's I,
1: that's clearly your rival. Then, like it seems yeah. like, if you hate playing them, like you know it's real.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's that's one team I I, I probably have a uh, a firm uh, dislike for. We won't yet. Now you know, give us some time. We won't yet hold it against uh, drink that uh, that he coached under uh on but uh, uh <laughs> but we'll keep it a close eye on that
1: that's fair that's fair well kind of getting into into the teams as they're currently constructed um you know obviously with you had the the tremendous Tua attack of law for you know for two and a half it kind of depending on how you view it uh as far as the years that he was active as your quarterback and he was great and won you guys a national championship like he's off in the nfl awesome cool he gets injured against Mississippi State, and your starter for the last four games was a guy named Mac Jones. And as far as I understand, Mac's going to be your starter. And last year, over four games, he had uh, like 1,500 yards, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. Basically, if you projected that out to 13 games, he would have been like 315 to 458 with like 4,800 yards, 45 touchdowns, nine interceptions, which is basically Baker Mayfield's Heisman season. Now, I'm not trying to blow him out of proportion, but, But are you expecting like Baker Mayfield type of production from Mac Jones or B, do you just expect okay quarterback play or C, is it going to be Bryce Young?
0: Well, that's a, there's more than one answer. I think that foots the bill there, right? I think we're going to see glimpses of Mac play really, really well. Uh, I don't think over, I don't think over a sustained season that he's that level of quarterback, but I would be less surprised if he were to play at that level consistently than if he were to come out and just and and just bomb over the season. So I think that he has more upside than probably the fan base has expected. But you mentioned a name there, Bryce Young. Uh, I think as the season goes on, I think he's gonna be the player to watch. He's the five star recruit. He's the the you know number one quarterback, he's all of that. He's the guy that made, you know, Talia Tungalavoa uh transfer. He, he is all of those things, the personification of of all of those things. And I think if, you know, distilling this down, uh, I think, uh, I, I think Saban's gonna, I think he's learned a couple of lessons. Uh, if Tua were not brought in, it's almost the last minute of the championship game, Tua was going to transfer. And so I don't hmm. think Saban wants Bryce to, to get to that level of sort of end of the rope. Yeah. I also believe that, he that Saban has paid close attention to how Kirby has managed the quarterback room in Georgia
1: God, yeah. and
0: he's, he's sort of crapped the bed on that one. And I think, uh, I think, you know, written or taped to the bottom of a desk drawer somewhere in Tuscaloosa, you know, there's an envelope that says, if we can only have one quarterback, who is it going to be? And inside that envelope is Bryce Young's name. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to see is Max going to start, he's going to hold down the fort uh, he may actually see disproportionate play in Week One because it's preparation for Texas A&M in Week Two. But as the season progresses, watch for Bryce Young get to get opportunities—you know, meaningful uh, opportunities—two-minute uh, offense, four-minute offense, coming in from from half; those types of of situations, and uh, get more opportunity with the starters. I won't go so far as to say that Bryce is the starter by the end of the season, although that wouldn't surprise me, but it is, uh, it will be clear by the end of the season that Bryce is the next man up uh, for
1: 2021. All right. Well, you know, I, that's, it makes the most sense. Obviously you don't come in as that highly regarded of a recruit and then, uh, you know, just run an option, keep the entire time, unless you're Justin Fields at Georgia. Um, But I mean, just an embarrassment of riches for you guys <laughs> to right. lose such a transcendent quarterback and then pick up another one. Uh, and speaking of transcendent talents, I mean, Najee Harris is a tremendous running back. Uh, I was shocked that he was going to come back for this year. Last year, he yeah. ran for 1,200 yards and 13 touchdowns, I think. Um, and, you know, he's he's also pretty good in the passing game. You know, tar- 35 targets last year, 300 yards, seven touchdowns through the air. So obviously he's a, he's a threat in a couple different ways. The surprising thing to me, is that he's not like um he's not going to bust a big run on you guys, on anybody, right? I think as an offense, you guys were 97th as far as big plays through the ground, which I kind of feel like that's Alabama's bread and butter, at least in the old school years. Is there any concern about Najee not being able to break a big one? Um, and is there any indication that maybe he's learning to do that a little bit better for this year?
0: Yeah, I think that he spent a lot of time this offseason uh, doing uh, speed training. There's, uh, Najee has put out uh, sort of a a YouTube series and uh, I've watched the first two videos. And the second one really focuses on time that he spent at uh, a speed training lab in Houston uh, over the summer. It's really impressive. I think he does have more burst. Uh, I think that uh, practice reports, uh, not that we get to go to practice, but (laughs) uh, hearing reports from practice that he is showing uh, more burst in the open field. So I think we're going to get to see that from Najee what I think and this is this is sort of the tempering that uh that I'm trying to do with with some of our Alabama fans is you know and it's it's the idea that more than one thing can be true at once Najee Harris is going to be a better player this year than he was last year but his numbers won't prove it hmm. uh Ryan Robinson uh, a fellow senior uh, another big running back was was underwhelming last year uh I think he's bounced back he's poised for a big year and Trey Sanders, uh, I don't have or scoop, but I, I I landed at a at a bar stool uh, next to uh, a guy that works in the football office last year, and uh, we had a conversation. And he said Trey Sanders is the best running back in the building, Ooh. and uh, he missed last season with injury. So I think we have three backs that top you know probably six seven hundred yards. Uh, Najee has a phenomenal season. I think you have to look at his individual play than his uh, than his aggregate stats. Uh, but I, I think we distribute the ball more at the running back position, and it will feel like a down year for Najee. But mm-hmm. his talent will be on display without question.
1: You know, kind of talking about you know 2019 versus 2020. Your receiving core loses Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs. Now you got still got Devonte Smith, Jalen Waddle, but those four together were dynamite. And now you cut that in half. Uh, you still got Najee Harris, still Waddle and Smith. Outside of those three guys, does anybody else even really need to show up? Obviously, you recruit very well at that position, but could you get away just throwing to Smith, Waddle, and Harris? Uh, and if you do need someone else to step up, who would that be?
0: Well, I think I think you absolutely I think you absolutely could. I think that when you think of Ruggs and Judy, you don't replace guys like that. You just you just recognize that hey, we had a moment in time. where we had four wide receivers that that you know barring injury that are all going to go in the first round uh, of the draft. And you just have to recognize that this this is something that doesn't happen. This is this is a glitch in the matrix or, or something uh, that all of those guys were, were sort of lined up at once. Uh, I do think that you know you know getting Smitty back and uh, and Jalen, you know Smitty has the opportunity to uh, if he replicates his production last season and he had the most touchdowns and the most yardage of the other receivers. Um, if he replicates that uh, in 2020, he's going to be right at the cusp of being uh, Alabama's all-time uh, wide receiver. And sort oh, of wow. given the recent run, uh, you know, stars in the NFL, right? Um, that's that's pretty impressive. And so I look for there to be a, really a concerted effort to to get that stat for him. Saban's kind of softened up on. On that type of thing, uh, over the years, Jalen Waddle is, you know, Jalen Waddle. But the the player that is right now positioned at the the number three receiver is John Mechie. Oh, I, think yeah. gonna be, uh, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be a name to to watch. He played a little bit last year as a freshman. Uh, you know, it's a tough rotation to crack. Yeah, but I think Mechie is a, another athletic, a little shorter, but a little uh, athletic guy. I think he's going to get behind coverages. Uh, Slade Bolden. I'll give you sort of the five. Uh, Slade Bolden uh, was a freshman last year, has a little bit of a cult following. He came in as a wildcat quarterback, actually hmm. threw for a touchdown, ran for a bunch of first downs. Uh, I think he's going to get sort of an increased package, and he's going to be like a little tinker toy that, that's going to be part of the offense. And uh, freshman uh, Javon Baker is positioning himself as sort of the next guy up at the uh, wide receiver position. So uh, it's it's Smitty and, and Waddle uh, clearly, uh, and then you could sort of put a blanket over the others, but, uh, I, I, there's some talent there. I, I, I promise you that. Oh, it's Alabama. There's talent everywhere. You got to fall <laughs> out of your ears, man. Um, no, so we have, we have some guys later further down the roster that i <laughs> maybe, you know, but, uh, but I, I, I think Slade and, uh, Javon, I, I think they're going to play big and, uh, uh, and I think they're going to get some passes Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with them.
1: Yeah. Now on the other side of the ball, you know, Alabama last year was, again, everything is, is a, Bit, you know a product of perception. The Alabama secondary was was tremendous. Uh, one of the best secondaries in the entire country. I think they rank second second in pretty much any passing category you can think of. The running defense was actually surprisingly a little loose. Uh, looser yep. than you'd imagine. Um, you know A lot of offenses get some four or five yards on the guys. Uh, now that's a product of them being super young freshmen. So now, 2020, we, here we are. The Alabama secondary loses four of their five starters and their defense of front seven, front eight returns almost everybody um, expectations wise. Is it like, okay, well we got to shut down the run. Cause everyone's going to pass on us. Or how do you feel about the defense for this
0: year? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the defense is going to be as good as the secondary allows. I, I think, I think you're exactly right there. And I do think this defense has a chance to, to really be uh, special. Uh, last year, you know, five out of eight players uh, across the front eight missed time. Uh, a couple of guys missed the entire season. Uh, like you said, they're all back, um, and and I think we legit go seven or eight deep with uh, not just warm bodies, but uh, contributors across the defensive front. Uh, we play, uh, we typically play uh, a three man front, and so you know you get to seven or eight, then you get into sort of a third team there. And so I I really think um, I think the last time this was true for Alabama was 2015, where the amount of depth across the defensive front, in particular, the defensive line uh, became, you know, not just getting through the game, but it truly the depth itself became a weapon. And Saban sort of has a theory that that he throws out. And he talks about, you know, the little guys, the wide receivers, the defensive backs. Uh, he said they'll go and they'll get gassed and uh, they'll, you know, they'll get some water and some deep breaths and they're ready to go. The big boys, he said, when they get gassed, it's see you tomorrow. They're 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 done. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah. when you think across the defensive front, and we saw this last year, when there's nobody coming in off the sideline, then and you know you've got to persist, you know you've got to play, then you get sloppy, you take plays off, you, know, you miss, you know, you miss a pursuit. And um, when there's just enough guys that can that can still happen, when there's an abundance of talent, everyone can go full bore every play, and you know that the rotation will take care of you. Uh, that you will still have uh, gas, uh, you know, late in the game. And so I think when that happens, the defensive front itself becomes a weapon. The depth becomes uh, a weapon. And we saw that in 2015. I think we're going to see that again uh, across the defensive front in 2020. I'll
1: get you out on this one. Um, I've seen the line as high as 28, I think, at the beginning of this week. Uh, Missouri, a 28-point dog. came down a little to 215 Um Good teams win. Great teams cover. Dave, does Missouri have any chance of covering against Alabama?
0: I um, no. I don't think so. Um, <laughs> oh, and, and, I, and I, you know, and I mean no disrespect by that. I think Saban sure. makes a lot of people rich. Uh, you know, covering, uh, especially covering first games of the season. Yeah. Uh, Saban is all about statements in making statements, and if you go back. And you look at some of the teams that Alabama has played to start the season. You know, Michigan, Wisconsin, USC. Um, you know, some brand name programs. Not that not that Missouri isn't, but th- you know, the point is, in those big stages, you know, Florida State, in those big stages that are truly statement games, Saban makes a statement. Mm-hmm. And so, in this season, in this game, the game that's going to start you know, the season and all of sort of the turmoil and all that. I think Saban wants to, to, to really make a statement here. He's not going to run up the store the score, you know, in an abusive fashion, but I do think uh, I do think I would go the over. And and I mean, no disrespect to, uh, uh, to the Missouri Tigers. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys. Uh, I have friends and family up in, in uh, our friends rather up in that way, lived in St. Louis for a couple of years. <laughs> so I have a genuine like uh, for Missouri. But if I'm being honest with you, um, I'd, I'd, I'd bet the over. Dave, you make me sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. <That's, laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to do that. It's
1: okay. No, hey, we're looking for the truth. We're not looking to be have our hand held, right? That's why we joined the SEC. So we'll, we'll see. I, I, I legitimately have no idea how SEC football is going to be in 2020. It's just we're all going yeah. to figure it out as we go along. But um, – It'll definitely be interesting. It sucks that we have to open up with you guys, but hey, at least we get it out of the way early. Um, and uh, hopefully everybody plays and doesn't get sick and stays healthy. You know, that's
0: just Absolutely.
1: the goal is to finish the season and then the goal is to end the season. So That's, let's hope right.
0: that's right. That's right. Those are the rooting points.
1: Yeah, exactly. So good luck to you guys, man. That is Dave Osment from Alabama Football Podcast. Dave, we appreciate the time.
0: Nate, it's been great. Thank you.
1: All right, thank you again to Dave for the time and the insight as well. Um, he is very confident in his Crimson Tide if he's saying that he's going to pick the over no matter what it is. Um, I understand that Nick Saban likes to make statement games in the first game of the season, especially after they've like had a big loss. But, God, BK, I'd like to think that he doesn't want to take that kind of anger out on poor little Mizzou, right?
2: I mean... Maybe not, but I don't know that it matters. Frankly, I just, I mean, sometimes you go up against a team that is just far more talented than you are. And it's some, maybe you could get away with that if they were coached by a dunce, right? Like you've got, you've got really talented teams across the country who don't always win. Alabama is really talented, and they also happen to have one of the greatest, if not the greatest, college football coach in the history of college football. So, I mean, I'm not breaking any news to anybody. Alabama's really good. They're rated number two for a reason. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz earlier today said they're rated number two and they're rated too low. So, (laughs) they very well may be the best team in the country this season. They are star-studded all across the board. They've got NFL talent everywhere, including first-round talent all over the place. Arguably, if you want to watch one player that is just fun as hell, watch Dylan Moses, their inside linebacker. Yeah. He's unbelievable to watch. He's going to be a first-round pick next year. He could have been a first-round pick probably this season. And then their receivers are a lot of fun as well with Jalen Waddell um, being right at the top of that list. And Devontae Smith being awesome as well. So I... there's really nothing they don't have. This is a really, really good team. They can basically name their score in week one, and the line that I'm seeing right now is Alabama minus 27.5. They're favored by 27 points. I I would take Alabama minus the 27.5, frankly.
1: Would you take Alabama minus anything?
2: I... No because I do think they uh, eventually I think you get to the point where Sabin will call off the dogs. I don't know what that point would be. I'd probably take Alabama up to like minus 35. once you get to that point it's it, there's just no value on that side of it but yeah. minus 27 and a half I actually and I know it sounds crazy. I actually do think there's some value on Alabama on that at that line.
1: Well I I've seen it fluctuate a lot. I just I don't know.
2: It started I think at 20. Yeah, um, And then the the news of the COVID-19 cases for Mizzou came out, and it went all the way to like 29, Yeah, and now it's kind of come back down a little bit to 27 and a half. So um, that, that's kind of how it went throughout the week, but I, I think they've got it about right here.
1: It's, again, this one doesn't matter. Alabama, just our goals are to start the season and end the season, like I said in the interview. That's what we're planning on doing that's what we're hoping for. So this one doesn't really count. This is not a game that we're going to win. If we were to win, however, and I, I'm going over this in my, my preview for, uh, for earlier today, there's a couple things that you have to do. Number one, you got to make Mac Jones inaccurate, um, projected. If his, if his four game sample size of last year was projected to 13 games, he would basically have a Baker Mayfield of like 4,800 yards. Um, I don't think he can do that. (laughs) I also don't know if he's going to play the entire game. They have Bryce Young, who's like an all-everything five-star quarterback. So, you know, whether he plays or not, the point is that the Alabama passing game relies a lot on timing and accuracy. They do go over the top because they can, because they have the athletes, but a lot of their passing is sideline to sideline, where it's like a little hitch or a little screen, and the receiver just makes a few jukes and then runs really, really far. Um, if you can break those up if you can play press coverage and you know either disrupt the timing or just get in the in the passing lane now you're starting to kind of eliminate one of the bread and butter plays of the Alabama offense the other thing they do is they do a lot of efficiency running Najee harris is a great running back but he doesn't go very far obviously you know dave talked about uh, harris doing speed training dude i don't care he's 6'2" 230 like if he's any faster than what he is, you know, I would be shocked. But if you can keep them doing 12 to 14 plays on offense at some point, even an Alabama offense makes a mistake. And that's what you have to hope for. So it's limiting the, the small passing plays to nothing and making them get three to four yards on the ground time after time, after time, because they're not going to break a big one. I don't think it's going to happen BK. Um, but if you want to beat Alabama, that's how you do it. At least on offense.
2: Yeah. Um, That's how you do it. Much easier said than done. I mean, there's going to be really good teams that struggle to do those things this season, and Mizzou is not one of those really good teams right now. Um, I, I really am going to be interested to see how Rake Straw is able to match up against some of these receivers. I'm interested to see how... Um, they're able to stop the run in the interior. I mean, if there is a strength among this Mizzou defense, it is the interior of that defensive line and then Nick Bolton running sideline to sideline. So they've got a chance there. Now, they're going up against a great offensive line, so it's going to be tested. But that's, that's probably the spot that I would have more confidence in. I just, this secondary going up against that passing game is going to be really, really difficult to judge them upon because it... It is one hell of a passing game.
1: Yeah. By the
2: way, ninety-five no. percent um, right now of the tickets in Vegas are coming in on Alabama um, minus <laughs> the twenty-seven points. So five percent of them coming in on Missouri. There's that.
1: Hey, man, that's just, uh, well, I
2: get it. It is the single Especially, most lopsided bet game of the week.
1: So when when the Tigers win, that means it'll be like the biggest Vegas upset of all time. Yeah. Cool, 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 awesome. All right. Um, you know, I was, I was partially interested in this game solely from, because I'm a dumb college football fan, solely from a Missouri offense standpoint. I was like, I'm really curious to see what Drinkwince is going to do with this offense. Now that he doesn't have an experienced offensive line, like at all, like going in COVID aside, he was not going to have that. Now with the injuries and COVID, like it's really not going to be a good, it's not even going to be an okay offensive line. They're going to be super bad. So now I'm like really upset because
2: you're going to see a lot of rollouts to the right. It's a lot
1: of rollouts. It's going to be a lot of, you know, making it up on the fly. There's not going to be any running game whatsoever. So um, the Alabama defense last year was again, one of the best secondaries, one of the worst run fronts, worst, you know, for Alabama. Like I said, in the interview now that's flipped. So the secondary is completely rebuilt and the, Defensive front seven is really good. So I don't feel like you're going to see a lot of Larry at least running the ball. I think you're going to see a lot of Tyler catching the ball. And hopefully Kiki Chisholm and Damon Hazleton get a lot of targets and hopefully break something. But I think I'm just going to be very upset to not see Drinkwitz's full vision on offense for this game.
2: Yeah, I think that's the worst part is that you're just not going to be able to know what this offense is even after this first game. Like We're not going to see what Eli Drinkwitz has to bring to the table uh, that being said, I I want to see individual talents. Like, I'm way more interested in Mizzou's offense than I am their defense going into this game. I want to sure. see if Damon Hazelton can high point a ball in the corner of the end zone. Because when I went back and watched his tape at Virginia Tech, man, he was amazing at it. Like, him at the catch point, mm-hmm. Hazelton at the catch point is a sight to behold. And he's not like a huge guy. He's 6'3", which is decent height. But he's not like some 230-pound DK Metcalf rocked-up wide receiver He's just got really good jumps. He finds a way he's got great ball skills and he high points the ball really well. So I'll be interested to see what he does there. Kiki Chisholm is the single most talked about player at Mizzou camp. And there is no close second. Mm -hmm. What does that look like whenever he's going up against some of the best corners in the NFL? If Kiki or excuse me, in Freudian slip there. (laughs) Best corners in college (laughs) football. If Kiki Chisholm wants to make that jump to the NFL, and he's talked about how he wants this to kind of be a showcase year for him, well, there's no better tape you can put out there than going up against Pat Sertan Jr. and dominating him. If he has a good game on Saturday, that's going to go a long way in his NFL draft stock. So I want to see what he's Mm -hmm. able to do in this game, and then I just want to see a healthy Daniel Parker Jr. This is a guy that had a really rough, yeah. tumultuous offseason because of the eye surgery. I want to see him look healthy out there, and I want to see him dominate in some of the interior blocking and maybe make a couple of nice grabs as well. So I really want to see what these weapons are able to do. I'm legitimately intrigued by them, even though that's probably not a great place to be at for a Mizzou fan right now. Um, <laughs> and that, that's what I'm most curious about going into this game, is what these weapons are going to be able to do against a a really, really talented Alabama secondary coach, you know, by Nick Saban.
1: I want to see Connor Basilak play, and I think I'm going to get that. I think I'm going to get it. I really do. Um, there's just no reason for you to keep any player in this game for extended period of time, just flat out. Unless you're winning, and we're not, don't do that. So I want to see what Connor does against an Alabama defense. Um, I'd like to see, well – I hear he's kind of nicked up, and we're not totally sure, obviously, who's going to be available. But, dude, if Elijah Young's available, feed him. I want to see what he can do. I don't know if we're going to see anything out of it, but, like, see him run up against an Alabama defensive front. Uh, If you want to throw Brady Cook in there, throw Brady Cook in there. Have him throw a couple deep bombs, (laughs) you know? Just... Get some young guys out there. Johnny Walker, throw them out there. Chance Looper, throw them out there. Like, just, let's just do it.
2: Yeah, let's see what J.J. Hester can legends. do. Let's, let's do
1: Put this. Put J.J. Hester out there. Yeah. Like, just, there's no reason to be conservative in this season, because this season doesn't matter. And especially when you're playing Alabama, it doesn't matter. So, I, I want to see some creativity. Whether it actually executes or not, I don't care. I just want to see funky formations and creative usage of players. And I want to see a lot of young guys see the field. And then I want to make sure everyone stays healthy, washes their hands, and uh, lives to play another game. So that's simple and kind of morbid, but that's where we're at.
2: Why did they have to put this at 6 o'clock on ESPN? Like, it couldn't have been the SEC Network. they SMC hate you, Network. BK. It, it couldn't have been the SEC Network. It couldn't have been, like, <laughs> hidden on pay-per-view the way that they did with Oklahoma's first game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, yeah. They couldn't have made everybody pay $60 to be able to watch this film. We, we had to put this on ESPN, the main ESPN, with, like, legitimately good broadcasters. Yeah. That's, that's what we had to do here. Okay. Okay.
1: Hey, man, I hope uh, Drink has a couple of Zeners like he's had in the off-season. And um, we get to see our pretty stadium with the lights on, I guess. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> there
2: that's will like be a good really broadcast. Perfect. Sean McDonough, Todd Blackledge, Todd McShay. It's a good broadcast.
1: Score a touchdown. That's what I'm looking for. Score one touchdown. I don't care when. Okay,
2: let's do this. Who do you think if, if somebody from the scores a touchdown in the first half? So let's assume that the starters are in, right? Let's not like pick sure. some random walk-on that's going to score in the fourth quarter when Alabama's got their walk-ons in. Yeah. If somebody from Mizzou scores a touchdown, who do you think it'll be?
1: Damon Hazleton.
2: I like that pick. You stole
1: mine. Um, go- <laughs> <laughs> you could say Kiki Chisholm because that was going to be my other one. I think those they're not running it, too, for right? a touchdown. Yeah, there's no, there's no running for a touchdown here, uh, unless it's Sean Robinson. So I, it's going to be one of those two receivers. You know, that's that's my best guess. Yeah,
2: I think I think if Damon Hazleton does, it is a red zone fade. And I think if Kiki yeah. Chisholm does, it is a red zone slant. Um I, ah, I think yeah, that's yeah. like the if you do like a where they win type of a breakdown on those two players, that's it. Hazleton wins outside going up to the catch point, and I think Chisholm's gonna be a guy that wins by being physical at the catch point.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Alabama wins, covers. We all get to go home and watch uh Watch our team play on TV, which is not always a given, so we got to appreciate it for what it is. Um, BK, any any last thoughts? I have Anything one question for you. This? What other
2: SEC games are you most interested in this weekend?
1: Kentucky. Because
2: I know you're, you're like a big college football fan as a whole. You're not just a Mizzou fan. Like oh, you, yeah. you are a massive college football fan. So what are the other SEC games that you're going to be locked into?
1: Kentucky-Auburn. I want to see that game. I don't know how much. Um, I don't know how much the airplane was made out of Lynn Bowden Jr. last year, but he's not there anymore. So I want to see what Kentucky learned from the fact that they could run kind of a wildcat veer offense when they actually have a quarterback. And, of course, it's against Auburn, which is the biggest, like, boom-bust team in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, they'll take down the biggest giants and then, you know, trip on their farts and lose to someone that they shouldn't lose. Now, it's a ranked game, so, like, Kentucky's no slouch. Um,
2: yeah, that game's on SEC Network, and Mizzou versus Alabama is on ESPN. Yeah. <laughs> like,
1: how does what? that work? <laughs> they got the 11 a.m. slot on SEC. Like, but I'm man, really curious drawn. to see how that goes. Yeah, I, I really want to know how that goes. Um, as far as the other SEC games, I mean, no, I don't particularly want to watch Georgia snuff out Arkansas for 60 minutes. We can. I'm not into torture porn, well, so that's A&M not for me. Texas m
2: versus Vandy, like I'm see I'm good.
1: I mean, there is a little bit of a question for me on A&M because they, I think they lost one of their receivers. So I'm kind of like, you know, this is really the year Jimbo needs to make a jump and prove all that Texas oil money is worth it. Um, so I am curious how they do against a bad team, but like Fandy, is really bad. So I'm not uh, not super interested in that one either. I, I Tennessee, but, uh,
2: South Carolina is one that I'm interested in. Super interested, frankly.
1: It's like, who's – Who's going to screw themselves up first, right? Because Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee – well, just Tennessee in general always seems to be in their way and over-ranked. Over, over and then Will Muschamp teams, I think he's on his fifth offensive coordinator in five years or something like oh, that. Wow. So, like, he, you know exactly what South Carolina is. Um, I know um, – mike bobo the former colorado state head coach and former georgia offensive coordinator is now south carolina's offensive coordinator and he brought his colorado state quarterback colin hill with him and connor hill beat out ryan helinski so south carolina is going to be a very boring run first second and third team and tennessee is you know a defensive monstrosity with an offense that sometimes shows up so like that is a game ripe for upset because Must champ teams are really good at upsetting just in the style that they play. But I don't think it's going to be fun to watch. Don't sleep on Colin Hill.
2: Threw for 375 yards and three tutties last year against Colorado. Now he did so in a 52-31 to 31 loss, but he threw for 374 <laughs> yards and three touchdowns. And I'm not going to mention those two interceptions that he also threw. Don't need to.
1: <laughs> he knows the system, man. He knows that Mike Bobo hand off the ball system.
2: I kind of liked Holinsky, too. Like, his numbers aren't going to wow you, but I kind of liked what I saw from Holinsky last year.
1: He was a freshman thrown into the deep end at the most important position in sports. Like, he did pretty well, all things considered. So, I'm, whatever, man. Muschant probably gets I don't think anyone's going to get fired, but I know Muschamp's been on the hot seat since he got there, so who knows.
2: I want to see who the like if, if Tennessee's a good team this year, they'll win that game by seven plus. Like they probably win that game by yeah. double digits. Um yeah. if they are what they've been, they either win that game in the single digits, three, four, five, six points, or they lose that game to South Carolina. It is on the road for whatever that is worth this year, and I not much. Um, <laughs> but they are on the road. And South Carolina has a way of being frisky in these games. They always have. Last year you saw their game against, what was that, Georgia, who they upset. And so I, mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm interested to see how that one goes. I want to see what South Carolina and Tennessee look like, because those are two swing games for Mizzou this year as well.
1: Yeah. And, of course, I'm curious to see what Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss and, and – um... You know, Mike Leach at Mississippi State can do, but it's against Florida and LSU, respectively. So you're not yeah. going to learn a whole lot, but just kind of see him on the sideline and be like, "Oh yeah, I forgot you guys are coaching there." So got some interesting games. I would watch Kentucky Auburn. That's 11 o'clock Central. Um, yeah, that's what I would watch. So, and then of course Mizzou if you're so inclined. So <sighs> that's all I got, man.
2: I'm excited. I really am. Like I, I don't. It's kind of like the NFL where because they didn't have any preseason, there was no real buildup for the year. And so it was almost like, oh, oh, we're playing now. OK, cool. That's awesome. And then you like <laughs> find yourself getting excited throughout the day of the actual like kickoff game. And then once the game starts, you're like, oh, th- this is great. Like football is actually back. And so I think that's going to be what <laughs> happens for me with mizzou as well i've watched less college football this year than i think i have maybe ever in terms of like the first Same. few weeks of this season um Same. and i think a lot of that is just because when your team's not playing it doesn't feel like the season's actually begun yet and then mm-hmm. once mizzou starts playing and you know the sec is kind of important here um <laughs> once your team starts playing i think i'll be back into it so i'm excited i'm excited to see what mizzou able to do on saturday even though obviously it's kind of a little bit of a blood donor game but i Mm -hmm. there are individual things to watch for even if the game itself is probably going to get a little ugly
1: yep look for our routes run look for how the off well not maybe not the offensive line but watch how the defensive line moves watch how the you know the mike linebacker whether that's uh you know whether it's uh i don't know if it's walk wilkins or sorry wilkins or it's brooks or Nicholson, like, just see how they move. Watch Enos Rackstraw, like, see how he covers his guy. That's really cool. So, there's little things you can watch and, and just pick up on things and try to find those individual wins. I agree with you.
2: It's football, man. We got football. Yeah. We'll take it. We got football. In whatever it's better form than no football.
1: Is. Exactly. So, yeah, that's our show for today. Um, we will be back uh, either Saturday or Sunday night. We haven't quite decided yet, but we are going to record twice a week um, post-show and then uh, the preview uh, before the Box score Show, as you all know. Um, That weekend one's going to be a little short because it's mostly just talking about the game, but uh, we will do full dives like we normally do uh, for our midweek show. So look forward to that. Uh, We appreciate your downloads. We appreciate the subscriptions. Leave a comment or rate us. You know, we love all types of feedback for the show. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Uh, You can listen on the radio, 101 ESPN, on your FM radio dial, 11 o'clock to 3 o'clock. And, of course, you can follow the Rocking flagship at Rocking Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. Until then, M-I-Z.